Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York. And Boca Raton, Florida. It's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Yeah, let's talk freight. And I'm actually coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee this week. So I always feel like I have to correct my the pre-recorded intro whenever I'm on the road. So uh, I got to say, man, it is. I, I went from snow in Buffalo to some, some decent weather here. I actually got to wear shorts yesterday. It was nice. A little overcast and rainy today, but that's okay. Um, episode 132, we got a good one today. But first, Ben, you've got a uh, Ukrainian flag on your shirt shaped like a sunflower. Give me the give me the breakdown here. You know, it's funny. Have you heard anything about like why the sunflower has become representative of like the Ukrainian, you know, I guess you'd say opposition force, however you want to define it. I have not. Enlighten me. So there was an older woman and the Russian soldiers were coming in to where she was, right? And this woman walks over and if you're not familiar, I mean, my wife being you know from Ukraine and that whole side of the culture, they eat a lot of sunflowers. And this older woman is literally trying to jam sunflower seeds in this Russian soldier's pocket. And the Russian soldiers, like you know, like what, like what are you doing, lady? Like I, okay, I like trying to do did what he's doing. See some brief reporting on that, but I didn't hear the full story. So uh, continue. Sorry, I just yeah. No, yeah, exactly. So she's like, you know, hey, put these in your pocket. Put these in your pocket. Like, you know, like, it literally reminded me of like my grandmother, like my Polish grandmother going, here, put these in your pocket. Put these in your pocket. You're like, what, what? No, no. And they're just going about what they're doing. And the soldier finally stops and she says, and he says to her and he goes, you know, like, why are you trying to stuff sunflower seeds in my pocket? And she's like, well, you're going to die on my land and I want a beautiful sunflower to grow from that like wow. basically like hey i'm gonna give you this because at the end of the day you're gonna remain here and when it's all said and done i want a beautiful field of sunflowers to basically you know grow up on my land based on you know kind of what was going on and it was like in my mind like the perfect intersection of kind of like I don't know, trying to find something good in a very, very terrible situation, but it was also kind of badass. So, like, I don't know, every time I see the sunflower now, like, I think it's pretty representative of a culture that didn't want it and is trying to make the best of the situation. I love the ballsy, almost passive aggressiveness of that woman. It's, uh, that's a, that's cool. That's a good story. I like it. Yeah. And it, that's exactly it. It's the passive aggressive kind of like, you know, you're here. And if you're going to stay here, Let's make the best of this, kind of. <laughs> well, that's a that's an enlightening, positive uh, spin story to hear. So, good stuff, good stuff. Well, hey, welcome back, everybody. If you are brand new here, you found us at a great episode. We're going to be talking about pricing and quoting today and some of the different nuances based on what you're really trying to achieve. Um, but first, hit that five-star review button on iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud or wherever you're listening to us. Leave that review. Um, traction has been growing. Listenership's been growing. Um, really good stuff. We're helping a lot of people, and we're getting a lot of good feedback. And we're going to continue to keep doing this until you either get sick of our voice um, or, you know, who knows? The power goes out and we can't do it one week. But now we, uh, we love what we're doing. We're going to keep sharing the good news. Share us with your friends. Keep the audience growing. And you know, we'll, we'll keep doing what we've been doing here. So um, before we, we get into it, um, how's it been going with the the um, Guardian Angel Fund? I know we kind of introduced that last week. What's the latest? So so pretty well, actually. Um, we've donated about five grand in total so far. We sent another $1,000. Well, I sent wired another $1,000 over to Poland yesterday. And even since yesterday, we've raised another $700 and every little bit helps. Um, it's going directly to the kids that are there. Some of the updates, um, one, they're they're trying to, not trying to, they are creating a sports league so that all the children can go and participate into some you know extracurricular activities. And really surprised me, they are actually putting the kids in school. They have enough Ukrainian teachers that are actually there already. So they are literally turning and creating some structure so the kids aren't just you know, obviously worrying about their dads. Yeah. I mean, because the truth of it is like 
the vast majority of the men are staying in Ukraine to fight and the women and children are in Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, you know, Germany, but they're getting them into school, they're getting them into things, they're keeping them busy. So this money's going directly to support those efforts. We sent over, um, the money that went last week went to book bags, it went to food, it went to money, not money, um, went to medicine, I'm sorry. And um, some of the volunteers have driven those supplies directly into Lviv. So it was a huge help to the people in Ukraine as well as the children that are, you know, in Poland right now. That's awesome. I'll love to hear that. Yeah. Make sure to check out the episode notes or the description box on YouTube, depending on where you're you're checking this out today. Uh, There is a link. I think it's the top the top um, link that we've got there for the um, for the donation page. So. Love to yep. hear it. Love to hear it. Um, I got a not a big sports update. Um, man, this always happens, right? We record on a Wednesday. It releases on a Friday, and something changes in between. So the MLB lockout lifted. I think it was last Thursday, but we had already recorded Wednesday, and I was like, man, the or NBA or N, MLB, I'm sorry, MLB baseball is still in a lockout. But it's lifted, and um, they're supposed to start, I think, April 7th, a full 162-game season. Um, and they lost about a week's worth of time, but they'll, you know, they're going to do some rescheduling and some doubleheaders to make it happen. So glad, glad that all worked out. It sounds like the players got what they wanted. And, um, yeah, I didn't watch the golf tournament this past weekend. Heard it was a good one. Um, nothing. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of action happening in the NFL in the off season, people getting ready for the, for the, uh, draft in the next month or so. And, People are looking at you know key players and who's going to go where and all that. There's all kinds of rumors. People are talking about Christian McCaffrey or, uh, maybe going to Buffalo and you know Gronk possibly going to Buffalo. Man, there's just it's all rumors. You know what I mean? Well, but yeah, but hey, I mean some objective updates. Uh, Tom Brady came out of retirement. He unretired in less time. Yeah. <laughs> he unretired in less time that the MLB lockout existed. <laughs> what I thought was funny, two things. Number one, all the responses to his tweet that he unretired. Someone's like, "Did Tom's Twitter account get hacked?" And then you think about <laughs> think about the guy that bought Tom Brady's last career touchdown pass ball, and he bought it for like 500k. And now he unretires, and the value of that football probably just went down. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when Jordan went from 23 to, was it 40? Was his second number 43 or 44? What was his? And then he went back to 23. I don't have that answer. I have no idea. (laughs) But we've seen it happen with other players before. Sorry. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't tell you his number. No idea. You're talking about Michael Jordan? Yeah, never, I think he went 23, retired that jersey, and then he came out with 45, then back to 23 with Charlotte when he came out of retirement for that brief period. But Gotcha. Well, anyway. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So Tom Brady's back. Uh, well, let's give a shout-out to our friends over at DAT before we get into this awesome topic today. Yeah, taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. And it's just another way that you can support your friends over here at Freight360. That's it. All right. Pricing. So we wrote down here, quoting to win freight versus quoting to cover freight. Now, to let's set the stage here, right? Two different things, but this is something that came up in coaching with you know that you did I think you said this past week right so kind of give me an intro let's set the stage for the audience here why are we why are we talking about the difference between winning and covering yeah there so is a difference. and this is a shout out yep this is a shout out to Dave he's actually the one that kind of coined this but you know in our group session earlier this week we were going through you know what were the epiphanies since our last session and he had said literally that right I've learned that quoting to win freight is much different than quoting to cover freight, right? And what really hit me was 
that succinct statement says a lot about this big phase of where you are in your career. When you're new, and a lot of our audience is either new or you know tenured within their first, I'd say three to five years, there's this stage where when you think about it, like when you're first starting to prospect and build your business, or let's rephrase it, create your business, right? Because it doesn't exist. You're not building it, you're not growing it, you're creating it, right? Well, all of the headwinds, everything you're fighting against are prospects, you know, shippers basically telling you they have somebody they can work with. Hey, you know, we don't know you, we don't know you from Adam, we don't know your company. Guess what? You have to earn the right to do business with us. So guess what? What we're gonna do is pit you against everybody else that's asking for business. And at that stage where, yeah, you're in the quoting to win freight, right? You're trying to give them a low enough number that they're gonna be willing enough to give you the business. Let me break this down. I wanna I want to, I want to expand and give, give you newer folks a realistic idea of what this looks like beyond your own vision. Because for you, you're like, customer gave me a chance for some lanes to quote them on, right? What else is happening outside of what you're doing? There could be five other brokers. There could be 50 other brokers, right? No one, mm-hmm. no one has a truck in hand. No one's been guaranteed or give, given that load to actually book, right? You all are doing the same thing, and that is, hmm, I just want to be able to give the customer a, a, a rate of what I think I can do it for. But you're one of so many different people, right? That's what's happening outside of your own little operation, right? So, But again, it could be a couple other people. It could be a ton of other people. And it's funny, if you've ever seen um, some customer, smart customers, they BCC who, who's getting that, mm-hmm. you know, those lanes, right? So that way, you as a broker gets gets the lanes that you're supposed to give pricing on, but you have no idea who else is there. Some customers that aren't so smart, they will literally list everyone in the two line or the copy line, and there might be 15 or 20 or 30 different brokers on there, and it basically tells you how, like, what your competition is and which company they're from. So, but anyway, back to what you were saying. Well, no, but going back to that, I think it's an important point because I think it's few and far between that people slow down to pay attention to what you just said, right? It's the first thing I look at. If I'm getting a load list from anybody, like I'm looking to see if I can see who they sent it to, right? I wanna know who my competition is because every little piece of information is extremely valuable at that stage, right? Yeah. You're right, and that all, if you can, like I said, some customers, they leave it wide open and you can see exactly who's there. The quantity, you could see which companies they're from and maybe there's four reps at the same company, right? There might be different agents from a big company or different branches from a large company, but it, it really lets you know how serious are they about giving me a chance here, right? And is this really the, the kind of, really the kind of uh, lane and, and uh, load that I wanna put a lot of time and effort into, so. Well, and, and I think it's worth dispelling another notion that comes up often with the people that we work with. Everybody goes, well, I only want the kind of business I want. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from CEOs, sales managers, managers of teams, companies. They're like, well, I don't want that kind of freight. We want the high paying, high mileage, low work freight. Like that's what we want, right? But I think what when we understand about what we're trying to get right, and that's the objective, everybody wants that type of business. But it's not necessarily like one specific customer or another that only has that type of business. The reality is, is the business we all want as brokers is mixed in with a lot of business we don't necessarily want. And it's not about finding somebody that only has what we want, it's about literally building enough of a reputation and enough trust doing some of the freight we don't wanna deal with so that we can earn the right to deal with the business that we do wanna deal with. Yes, and let's explore that a little bit, right? Yes, it make, it makes sense. Everyone wants the freight that they want. They want the easy stuff. It's not. It's easy to cover, It's it pays well, it's not, a, you know, it's low touch. Um, you're not gonna be just handed that on a silver platter, right? Think about any time that um, you've introduced something new into your life, right? You have this initial period where you're like, eh, I'm still kind of feeling it out. And then let's say it, like, let's say it's a product. So let's say, for example, um, 
you have an Android phone, a, a PC laptop, and like a Samsung smartwatch. And you're like, hmm, I wanna try out an Apple product. Do you just go all in and buy a MacBook and an iPad and an iPhone? No, you might go no. test out one, right? And you're like, dude, I love the way this works. And then you buy another product and another product because there is trust and dependability that is displayed over a period of time from slowly doing this stuff. Now, how do you translate that back to brokerage, right? If you can do some of the things that aren't so fun in brokerage, covering those pain in the butt loads, right, or having thin margins on you know these issue type of uh, lanes, well, it takes a bit of doing that before you're going to get access to a lot of that more desirable freight. And again, it's not it's all mixed in there together, right? You might slowly get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and the customer then realizes this is your overall value add to me as a transportation provider, right? You're not just I can only do this and I won't touch that. So, And I think it's a really good point, right? So some objective things you can do, right? Because the reality is, is we don't know that. When we pick up the phone and we call a shipper and we say, hey, you know, like, what kind of loads are you running? What are they gonna give us? They don't know us from Adam. What is the most likely thing they're gonna give us? Exactly what you pointed out. They're gonna give us the jump ball freight. They're gonna give us the loads that are, from their point of view, very low risk. And why? Because they don't know us enough, they don't trust us enough to give them the things that honestly, if they give them to us and we don't follow through with what we said in one or two conversations, jam them up, put them in a horrible position, right? Can you imagine if you're a shipper, you know, like you're the person you're trying to prospect and they've got to go to their boss and say, hey, we lost a customer. Why did we lose a customer? Well, their shipment didn't get there on time. Okay, well, who did we use to pick it up? Well, it was a new broker. Well, how long did you know them? Well, they called me out of the blue, okay? And their boss says to them, oh, so you talked to this person twice, you gave them our most urgent freight with our most important customer, the ones we're willing to spend enough money to actually make sure it gets there on time, you didn't know these people at all, and the first load you gave them was our most important load? They would lose their job, Yeah. right? So think, think about it this way, right? that same situation, well, let's say nothing went wrong with that, but the decision-making process, right? You talk to this person twice. A, a good traffic manager is not gonna handle a load like that. But let's say you've had good ongoing conversation for months. You've presented lots of pricing options for them, whether or not it's in their range. Maybe you haven't even covered a load for them yet, but you've been consistent and you've brought value to them. You, you can give them market insight and just you can present options to the market to this customer that alone is gonna to lead to them having more trust and faith in you on a load that has to get moved versus someone they talked to twice and it's never done anything positive for them. Absolutely, right? So, you know, kind of tying that right back into the topic, right? The transition between quoting to win freight, which, you know, by definition is you're competing amongst other brokers. Very price. Our goal very, is very to move from, yeah, very rate driven. Our goal is to go from there to a place where we're able to quote freight in a way that benefits us as a brokerage, right? And what does that mean? It means like, think about it. Think about the loads that you've covered in the past week, anybody out there, right? If you have the right money in that load, you should be fielding calls and picking the carrier that is the best fit of the people calling you. That is a completely different task than you spending a lot of outbound effort calling others, calling carriers, trying to convince them to run something for something that doesn't have the right money. One fits very well into a business that everyone's trying to build, right? Where you spend the least amount of time to generate the most amount of money and the most amount of value for your customers. When you can get to a place where you have the right money, that's the fit, right? Now, it's not every load. You're never gonna have the customer that just gives you everything you want on every single load. But the reality is, is if you can move a little bit closer towards that relationship, every single phone call, every single week, you spend a little bit less time beating yourself up, fielding a bunch of calls. And to be honest, dealing with the same problems the shippers have right now, recovering loads because they don't have enough money in them. That's why you've got trucks that fall out on you. That's why your shipper has trucks falling out on them. It's the same reason. I had the, I had a situation like that at the talent last week. It was a power only move and the dude, he was having a really tough time getting it covered. I'm like, I'm like, throw a price tag on it. And he's, and we started with, 
the carries that you've talked in the last couple of days about this load, what were they? What kind of a pricing point were they asking for? Uh, whether or not they had a truck available, what you know? And we started at all right. We're going to start at fifteen hundred dollars. And I said, and this is now we're it's like Friday afternoon, and he's he's hoping to get it covered Friday, if not Monday morning. So I'm like, start it at fifteen hundred. I want you to if you don't get calls and get it covered, I want you to continue to increase that listed rate every 30 minutes until you get it covered. And he ended up, he was able to wait until Monday and got it covered. It, it was it was a higher price than 1500 but doing things like that, um, it's a dream, right? Because he's got the customers flexible on the price and he can go around and play with the market until he can bring the capacity to him with you know having that rate. But he's he's gotta have flexibility with his customer to be able to do that, right? And you're not gonna have that opportunity when you're brand new. But you want to get to that point. Correct. And I think the path from where you start to where you're going might be, I don't know, well, for a lot of listeners out there, especially if you're building a brokerage by yourself or with one other person in your house, you don't have the context of what it looks like along the road from where we say to where we want to go, right? And what was really helpful, and we talked about this in group this week, was I was like, I literally pulled up my email and I was like, I have probably 25 shippers that still email me because I'm included in their jump all freight list, right? Every day. I see their lists every day on the loads they want to move, but I do literally nothing with it. Yeah. Because the ones that I do now have relationships where I'm actually brokering freight with them, I know them well enough. And because it happens over time, it's not a difference in customer necessarily that you only find the ones that are willing to do this. It's usually within their own routing guide, their amount of loads they have, right? They might have a hundred loads to move, but guess what? They're probably only willing to pay a broker maybe 10% of those loads that actually have to get out the real money that it takes to move them. So let's let's talk action items. So what can you do with with this kind of business? Because if you're brand new, you're gonna deal with a lot of jump ball freight and a lot of load lists. Yep. And here's, like you, you already said it yourself, Ben, you don't even spend the time on that stuff. But somebody who's brand new, they don't have the other business yet to work on. So here, here's my, my action items on it, and I'm curious to hear what your feedback is. Um, you should be spending a little bit of time to work the, that freight. It's gonna give you experience on pricing and also building rapport with your customers on giving them feedback and what real access to the market looks like. Don't spend eight hours a day trying to cover the, in price and cover this freight though, right? Spend a little bit of it, but continue to prospect because not every customer is like that. And the more time you spend making dials, the more rocks you're overturning for opportunities with other customers that aren't necessarily gonna be having you compete against 50 other people. Right. If you can target those small to medium sized companies that don't put 50 brokers on a, on a load list, that's who you want to work with. And that's who you can build a true rapport with. And they're less price sensitive and more relationship and trust uh, bound when it comes to their, choosing their partner. So my my feedback, in my opinion, is spend some time on it. Flex that muscle. You're going to it's going to help you develop. And you might you might cover a couple of those. Right. And that could lead to more business. But you need to continue to diversify your book and your prospecting and your pipeline. What do you think? I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's like a two-pronged approach, right? On the first prong, it's whoever I have that is willing to talk to me, the thing that I'm gonna do with somebody that is already speaking to me is try to differentiate within the freight that they need covered what is the most urgent and what isn't the most urgent. Even if it's 10 loads, the first thing I'm doing before I ever do anything, if I get an email on loads is pick up the phone and call them and ask them, Hey, looking at what you said you needed help on today, out of any of these, do any of them need to get out today? Furthermore, do any of them need to get delivered by a certain date or you might have issues? What I'm trying to find out is, what is the stress in that company's supply chain, right? Like, where are the things that, that could cause issues? Those are the most likely loads where they're, real, they're gonna be willing to pay real margin, again, to move you from quoting to win it versus covering and actually covering the freight, right? And guess what? How many of those other brokers are actually calling to have that conversation with them? Very, very little, right? Very, very little. If not zero. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's taking the initiative, right? Because even if they tell you nothing, guess what you already achieved? You achieved a few percentage points that differentiate you from everybody else they're sending that email to, yep. which already adds value, right? You took initiative now, and showed that you cared. This is actually important to you. 
You're not just yep. everyone else that's out there. And that is really, the, like if there's just key takeaways in building your book from, from the start is, it, this is so relationship driven. It is because at the end of the day, let's say, you know, you and someone else come back and you have a similar price, but the person's like, well, I've been, I've been talking to this person three times a week. You know, we actually have good conversations. Guess who's getting that, that load? You and not the other person. So, I mean, it I is because the it, same thing goes, like you said, I said before, right? You know, it's just working on some of this freight for a little bit. It's going to help you develop yourself with pricing and just the relationship building. The same concept goes with cold calling, right? You could, the first few weeks, you're going to fumble over yourself and sound like an idiot because you don't have a, you don't have a, you haven't found your voice yet and you haven't really found, found how you want to present your, you know, your brokerage services to shippers. And that's okay. You're going to make mistakes and fumble for the first little bit there until you start to really, really narrow down and feel comfortable in your own body and your own skin when you're on the phone and how you're gonna present yourself. So don't don't beat yourself and up the, and if you think you mess up. And those are huge takeaways, right? Like one of the things that I, I would add to that same point is just because you don't cover a load doesn't mean you can't add value to that relationship, right? When you call a shipper and you say, hey, look, Maybe they want to be at, well, just for an example, like maybe they want to, they're stuck at 1200. Can't pay a dollar more, right? If I call that same shipper and go, hey, I've got you a couple trucks. Honestly, they're at like 1450. Would that work for you? Is that not worth your time? Or is that not worth the loads value to you as an organization, right? And they say, no, honestly, I gotta be at 12. Okay, what does that, what did that prove to them? It proves to them that I'm working literally for free on their business. That is that value. That's that trust even if you don't cover a load. So there's a lot you can do even if the money isn't right to help further that relationship, right? Now, the other point, right? So one is differentiating the freight we wanna work on within the list they're already giving us versus the freight that like we don't necessarily wanna work on. The other one that you pointed out right before this is, why am I really doing that? I'm trying to minimize the time I'm spending on freight that is not worth my time and spending more of my time every day incrementally trying to find a better fit for a customer. And that's almost always the trade-off. Yep. I'm always trying to minimize the time I spend with anybody I've already established a relationship, trying to further it, but minimizing the time I'm spending calling out to trucks always and trying to field in calls, minimizing the quoting to win freight part of my business and trying to maximize the opportunities I have to find the next right customer, right? Yep. So to summarize this, right, quoting to to win freight versus quoting it to cover it. What would you say the, the biggest, you know, biggest difference is here? Finding I, the urgency with- Or how much time you spend on it, how, how would you summarize that? I'd say on the mindset piece, it's determining the urgency from the customer's point of view within every individual load. The more you can understand the context of the loads, the more you can determine whether it's worth your time to spend any time on it, honestly. I mean, if I know I've got a, if I've got a customer that tells me this has to go, and then I ask a few more questions and they say, if my customer doesn't get this, I might lose them as a customer, guess what? That's the customer that's most likely to be an open checkbook load, right? Yep. And that's when, that's that's when you're truly working it to cover it, not just to throw pricing. Exactly. And I'm like, look, hey, I will get this moved. And that was always my sell point, like when I worked at a big box brokerage was, I'll never be the cheapest, but I will always hustle harder than any other broker you have. And I'll put my word behind that and I'll stay here until seven o'clock tonight to cover your freight. If you give me the money and the resources to get it moved, I'll get it moved. I'll find you a truck if it's 300 miles away because if it needs to go, there's always a way to get it there. But if you're not willing to pay dollar one above the lowest end of the market, then guess what? You're gonna get exactly that. I'll post it up and if I get a truck, you can have it. Apart from that, I'm not gonna spend another moment of my time because where my time is gonna be better invested for me as a brokerage is finding the better customer that's willing to pay to have their freight moved when it needs to be moved. So I wanna, I wanna challenge anybody out there who um, is, if all you're doing is working list freight and you get a couple loads here and there because you get the right price, I wanna challenge you to take that relationship with your customer a step further to where you're truly working on their 
not just working on, but you're identifying with them the loads that are truly urgent to be covered that you can effectively spend your time to work on versus, yeah, I'll post these 20 lanes and see if I can get, you know, the diamond in the rough, you know what I mean? Or turn over some stones and maybe I'll find something good, right? Take that relationship with your customer to the next level. It's going to lead to um, bigger bang for your buck, right? So the more you're gonna spend less time to make more profit, that relationship with the customer is gonna go further and they might start to offer you uh, lanes and freight that is not getting you know, shot out to 50 other brokers. So and it here, is. here's and what's, I- what is unfortunate, and you know, I, I guess you and I, we've been in this business long enough to, to see it from different angles, but there are some smaller brokerages or maybe it's just some independent brokers that they never ever get past that mentality of I'm just gonna bid against everybody else and try to be the cheapest. Because they either never were taught it by anybody, they just think that price is, is everything, or whatever whatever the other you know situation or factors are in that, but it is way, way more than that. The reason that some of the brokers out there make a million dollars a year on their book of business is not because they are the cheapest. It's because they have yes. solid relationships with their customers, they get referrals from their customers, and they grow as their customers grow. And that is not just bidding on list rate. Well, agreed. And and it's also like once you establish it, it's not like it's set in stone and stays there either. Like you have to hold that line with your customers because it's always gonna be them trying to encroach on it, right? They're always gonna try to grab a little bit more and you have to hold that. You have to hold the line of the fact that like you are the one that provides value by being willing to do what others aren't, but there's a cost to it. Yep. And that is the line that you've got to hold because it doesn't stay there. Just because you draw that line in the stand doesn't mean it's there permanently. It literally is going to be washed away the next day when the customer tries to come back farther. Think about this, right? Think about a new your customer, a new VP comes in that runs their procurement or, you know, logistics or supply chain, right? They're in a board meeting and all right, we need to cut transportation costs. And so whether it's a new person in leadership, a new traffic manager who's being told, hey, we need, we need to get, you know, reduce our prices, right? You gotta, you've gotta keep that line firm because things will always change. Replacement and yeah. job, your rep gets promoted and somebody else slides in there and wants to do a better job than the previous, you know what I mean? Like this stuff, there are so many variables. So you've gotta make that consistent. So. And, I, and I would say, you know, some objective, actionable things that you can do if you're out there is you're not going to be able to do this with every relationship immediately, right? Like the reality of what Nate and I talk about in every one of our episodes is that it's not about trying to hit a grand slam every time you're at bat. What it's about is trying to get on base incrementally, right? Every time you can put the bat on the ball, every time you can find a way to get a little bit more time back and a little bit less time wasted eventually will get you farther than not doing this at all. It's not about big wins. It's about finding little things that give you your time back. And I'd be willing to bet that most of our people out here early on in their career are spending a ton of time fighting with carriers that keep falling out. Well, guess what that's correlated to? Exactly what we're talking about. It's correlated to the fact that you didn't have the right money. That's not necessarily your fault. It's, it's, it's a result of the relationship and the time you've had it. The more you can work on that, the less time you've got to spend over here recovering fallout freight because you didn't have the right money because you're working on a load that necessarily wasn't really that much of a priority for the shipper to begin with. Yep. So what we're saying is find the loads that are the most priority and if that shipper says all of them aren't a priority, Okay, I'm not saying you shouldn't still post up those loads and maybe get a truck to cover them occasionally, but you should be spending more time trying to find the customer that has more urgent freight that they're willing to pay for your services to execute. Yep, you're absolutely right. And hey, not everyone's gonna take our advice. I I know plenty of brokers who operate at single digit margin and they're just high volume and that's all they do is just post and they cover what they can and they, they typically don't really grow that much, so. But if, you can. If, that's, if that's who you are and that's your style, don't expect to to flourish one day without taking a different approach to your operation. So, I always feel like the, the, the biggest goal in any business, no matter what it is, and everyone that I've ever worked in and across every industry is, we wanna be able to create the most amount of value, take the most amount of resources out of it with the least amount of time. 
And that really should be your focus every single day of every week, sitting down and writing down to yourself because it makes it real when you write it down. Just because it's in your head, write it down on a piece of paper for yourself and say, you know, where is most of my time going? Why is my time going there? What is the cause of this? Okay, what can I do to minimize that next week? It's not gonna eliminate it, but every single week, if you keep focusing on where your time is being spent the most, you have the most likelihood of getting time back. Yep, you're absolutely right. Well, good stuff. We got some listener questions here, but first I gotta give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. As you're growing and you're looking for who, maybe, maybe you wanna build a website out to you know, show some of your services. Maybe you need some back office reps to help with billing. Maybe you need an operations person for track and trace. Maybe you need an account manager. Who knows, right? Their, their staffing options there are massive. Even marketing, I didn't even mention marketing, but they have, they've, they've covered just about everything from your sales side, your operations side, the tech side, and the marketing side. Check them out at leangroup.com. Uh, the whole concept is nearshore staffing, right? They've got folks in South America that based on cost of living and things like that, you're able to get talent at a lesser price. And these are people that are already trained in the industry. So give them a, give them a little check out there at leangroup.com. There's always a link in the show notes. All right, today's qu first question uh, comes from one of our listeners and there's a lot of context to this, but basically the question was, how do I deal with gatekeepers, right? Kind of getting the same, it's the same objections like customer, my our freight's customer routed. We don't actually tender it, you know, the the basic stuff. Um, how do I deal with gatekeepers? Well, we've I think we have an entire episode on this. You should probably check out. Uh, we've talked about it many many times. My biggest advice is, I guess the first step is you've got to you've got to identify, um, you know, is first of all with gatekeepers, is there a way? to get around that gatekeeper without getting stopped there. And you've talked about urgency and the tone of voice and things like that. But when it comes to the objections when you're getting screened by somebody, um, are they just fake to try and get you off the phone or are they realistic? So I think that's step one. What do you, what's your take on it? Yeah, and I mean, you alluded to what I've said, you know, throughout a lot of our conversations is that there was an article I read a long time ago on the psychology of gatekeepers and it was, it was it was like literally they interviewed all of these gatekeepers and they said how do you determine whether or not you let somebody through right and the vast majority of them said they did it by feel like their gut right it wasn't by what somebody said to them it was how they said it and almost all of them said that it was just almost reaction like they could just feel when it was somebody that was trying to from their point of view right a gatekeeper's job is very simple to try to minimize the waste of time, right? The amount of people trying to reach their boss that shouldn't get through and trying to make sure the people that are urgent do get through. And I'd say one of the best ways to try to get a gauge on this is if you already have a customer, when you call there because you have an issue at a loading dock, you're talking to the same, gate, same gatekeeper, right? How often do you actually get screened? I would say probably never, right? because the urgency and the way you're saying what you're saying comes across to that person in a way that they know it's important enough that it needs to get to their boss, right? Yeah, if, you, if you're calling- And to me, it, that is your- f if, if you're calling a customer because there's an issue with a hot load of theirs, think about your tone of voice and your sense of urgency versus if you're yep. cold calling a new prospect as a, as a new freight broker, just trying to you know make your sales pitch. Very, very different. Tone yeah. of voice. And, it, and it's, and it's and it's and it's really like if I'm cold calling, especially new people, it's is 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 John is John there? I was I was I was calling to see if um, we might speak to him about his freight. Your load's there. Your truck's at the dock. Your driver's screaming at you because they did they checked him in and they're not getting to his truck. You're calling that phone as soon as they pick up. Is John there? Is John there? Immediately, that gatekeeper just pushes you through. Right? It's the urgency. It's the confidence. It's the tone of voice. It's how you say what you're saying, not necessarily what you're saying. Yep. I, I mean, to me, that's always been my best way to get through them. The other piece of it too was, um, <clears throat> part of the question was the objections that they run into. And sometimes these objections can be, can be thrown up by that gatekeeper, right? And sometimes it's not the gatekeeper, sometimes it's the actual, you know, the traffic manager, but things like, um, when they re that gatekeeper arises that you're a broker trying to sell, they're just gonna throw things at you like, oh, we're customer routed, or we're, we only use asset-based carriers. 
Now, whether it's the gatekeeper or the actual decision maker, you have to discern, is this a real, uh, is, are they speaking truth or is this an excuse to try and get me off the phone? And yep. I recommend check out a lot of our other content for a more a bigger deep dive in it. But I would say don't ever accept that answer as the end all be all and the call's over. Ask other questions, give feedback. Like we only use asset based carriers. Oh, that's awesome, right? You get to work, you have, you have direct access to to the, the, the market out there. You never have to use a broker. How's that going for you, right? Have you guys ever run into a, you know, a, a carrier rejecting a tender, right? And you can just keep that conversation going. It is, and I think so. to, to further exemplify exactly what you said, what you just showed an example of was, it's a pattern interrupt, right? There are two ways that they're expecting you to answer. They're expecting you to go away, or they're expecting you to say, oh, oh, okay. Right, like that's what they're expecting. So the best way to throw them off their game and to get a realistic answer about what's actually happening, like that's all we're trying to do, right? Find the truth. Is it a real objection or is it BS? Is exactly what you said. Go and do exactly what they're not expecting. Tell them that's good news. Oh, that's fantastic, you have your own trucks. So how's that been running? Have you guys been running into issues with like fuel prices rising? And you throw a question back after you've given them the pattern interrupt because the most likely thing they're gonna give you back is the truth. And now you can have a real conversation about what's really happening there. Yep, good stuff. And like I said, there's a bunch of content on that. Go check it out. Um, next question, uh, speaking of fuel prices, carriers are wanting more money due to fuel prices. What do I do? Okay. I brought this up either in the last couple of weeks that we haven't seen fuel as a leading price changer in the last couple of years because the, the leading price changer has been capacity and demand, right? It hasn't been fuel, right? Prices have, prices have been up and capacity has been tight for reasons that don't include fuel right now. But now, fuel is re-entering that conversation and uh, I would recommend have a conversation with your customers about it now if you haven't already that, hey, obviously you know the cost of a gallon of gas has gone up. The same thing goes for diesel going into these trucks. So we can expect for things to get a little bit more expensive with prices going up. Um, what I would still challenge you to do though is use as, as recent of data as you have available to you on the market to challenge a driver if they're if they're using that as, as a, you know, a, a extremely skewed request. Like you're, you're not gonna get a thousand dollars more in a lane because diesel went up a little bit. So yeah, you got and any I think, add on to I think that? that's I think it's just, just keep be realistic about what impact it's had. Don't shortchange it, but also don't get taken advantage of by a carrier because of it. And I think that's really the what it all comes down to is one, you want to do your best to get ahead of this, and your customers are aware of this. They know this is coming, but also let's be honest, like drivers and carriers are gonna use everything they can to their advantage to try to gain as much as they can. And they are going to try to grab as much as they can from this, right? So find a reasonable objective metric you can use to deal with on the carrier side. But I would say start bringing this up to your shipper so it doesn't seem out of the blue where you might be running the same lane for the past year and now all of a sudden you need an extra 100 bucks or 50 or depending on the mileage, right? Like some percentage increase. Get ahead of it on the shipper side. Make sure you're holding the carriers as accountable as you can to an objective statistic because, you know, it's yeah. the same adage. Give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Yep. You got to think about it, right? The carrier, their, their objective is to get as high of a pay from you. Your customer's objective is to pay you as little as possible. And your objective is for them to do the opposite, right? You want the customer to pay the mm -hmm. most and the carrier to get paid the least. It gives you high margin. <laughs> exactly. So that's just all negotiating. So everyone's gonna always try to, to use whatever ammo they have to achieve their objective more. Um, stay honest with your rates. Um, another, another good thing too is, you know, as you're, as you're talking to carriers throughout your day or throughout your week on a certain load, make note of, um, you know, what someone is willing to take that load for. Right. If you, you know, if you keep a log of that's the, huge. The, the offers that you've gotten, that data is way better of a data set than looking at a seven-day average on, um, you know, a rating tool. Because this, this is a real people you're talking to this week, and this like today. Yes, because so. then, it, 
In a real negotiation, a carrier doesn't give a shit if I tell them that the DAT average is this. But what does work and what is effective is when I say, I covered this load yesterday for this number. Why can't you do the same? Now all of a sudden, they don't really have any leg to stand on. Yep. All right, last question um, about our friends over at Freightways. How does Freightways get their data for rates and tender rejections? This is actually a good question, and I don't know that we've talked about it the same way that we've explained DAT and other like a lot of a lot of um, a lot of these analytics tools. They will get their data from, let's say, a load board owns a factoring company or a load board owns a TMS, and they've got actual data that they're seeing live transactions happen, right? Um, Freight waves, so they're they're pricing and analytics and macro um, economical logistics tool is called Sonar, and it's pretty cool. They, so as far as the rate part of it goes, there's a, a co-op of I think it's like 25 big brokerages that are all have all agreed to share their data with one another uh, with freight waves in order to get real market insight, not just from, you know, the other tools that are out there. So it, it's actual brokerages that are, you know, they're not owned by FreightWaves or anything like that, but they're, they've all come into an agreement to share their data amongst each other. Um, tender rejections, I, would, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine it comes from that same group of people. So think about these massive billion dollar plus brokerages that are out there. If they are part of this co-op it's, that's um, sharing their data on pricing, they're probably also uh, they're probably also sharing their data on um, contract pricing that's been um, kicked back. I would imagine. I don't have a I don't have a perfect yep. answer on it. Do you have any, Do you know anything outside of what I just gave? I don't. Nothing more than what you did. But I think what's helpful is to just reiterate what tender rejections mean, and that really just means like fallout percentage. How many times they actually sent a tender out, expected a truck to pick up that load, and then got the load back. So that's what that number tracks, and I think it is very important for the entire industry. In fact, it's one of my favorite metrics because that tells you what's going on behind the scenes at your shippers. If there's a 30% yeah. tender rejection, that means one out of three loads that they are booking is coming back that they need to rebook, right? The and that's fundamentally that, the problem we solve as a broker. The higher the tender rejection rate is, the better opportunity you have in the spot market as a freight broker. Because yep. these are contract, like let's say a, a very large asset-based trucking company is who is contracted and is sending those, you know, those back. Or it could be a big brokerage that was awarded it through, during a bid, right? Whether it's a broker or a carrier, they were contracted or awarded these lanes through a bid process of some sort, and they kicked it back because they couldn't do it for the rate that they were contracted for. Which then it, that'll spill it down into the the spot market. I think spot market. I mean, it's it's funny. I want to say what the normal rejection rate is, um, but what is normal, right? Because the last two years have skewed a lot of data, but like you go back a couple of years ago, 10% was not, that was, I would say that was pretty normal. It wasn't wild. When you're seeing two, three, if not four, four X that in some situations, that tells you how crazy and how rapidly the market has shifted, causing people to send their, you know, those tenders back. So, yeah, it also and tells you the friction. That's why you've seen the shift to more smaller bids, not a full year, maybe by quarter or maybe for the next four to six weeks, because it's, you know, the market won't shift as fast or as much in, you know, a month and a half as it will in twelve months. Yeah, right, and that's really just the friction, right, on the shipper side. If they are sending things out that are coming back that they need to recover, right, like that's the friction within their supply chain, that's what we ease as a freight brokerage. And how we ease it is by helping them understand that they should pay more for their most urgent loads while they can hold the rest of them at the lower end of the market when they can, right? Our job is to help them save money on the things they should be saving money on and help encouraging them to pay for the things that they should be paying for. Yep, that's it. Great episode. Keep sending us your questions, everybody. We get the newsletter out every week, and we've been getting a lot of questions in. A lot of people signing up for the newsletter. Um, a few thousand of you, I think, are getting it. Maybe three or four thousand now, every single week. So keep keep uh, keep sharing us. Keep asking questions, and we'll you know we try to get to every question that we can. Um, that being said, any uh, closing thoughts here? 
Um, the one quote I wrote down this week that I thought was pretty good. And oh, are we just, changing? And, are we switching up our sign-off? Nah, not going to switch up the sign-off, but I was going to give a final thought, and I really thought this was... Let's give remember where I pulled it. But it was, you can't be good at something unless you're willing to be shitty at it at first. And I was like, and I can't even remember where I heard it, but I keep like a running note tab of anything I hear that's like worth writing down. And that was the one I picked up over the past week. And I'm like, that's pretty apropos. Like that's everything in life. If you're not willing to fail at it, you're not gonna be good at it. And that holds true with everything we do in life, right? Uh, let me let me add to that. For everyone out there looking for the perfect script or they wanna buy, they wanna go out there and buy that shipper list, right? You're trying to take a shortcut. You're trying mm-hmm. to take a shortcut and just get to success overnight. I'm telling you, mess up, fumble on the phone, sound like an idiot, find the wrong ways to find shippers before you find them, the good right way to do it. That is how you truly learn. And dude, that quote you just gave resonates so well because everyone wants the shortcut, man. They want yep. the, the shipper list I can call, they want the perfect script. Hey, we can talk about you know your sales pitch all day long, but we're gonna tell you more so about how your personality should be and the kind of things you should be doing that are not the exact words to say because those aren't those don't mm-hmm. always matter as much as how you approach it and how your personality is. Yep. There's wow. a, and, it, and it really reminded me when you just said that. There's that Thomas Edison quote, like when somebody asked him how he invented the light bulb, he said, "I didn't invent the light bulb. I found nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine ways not to light up a light bulb, and then eventually yeah. I found one that worked. Right? Like, because yep. that's how we create things. That's how we learn as human beings. Right? There is no shortcut. There is no silver bullet. There is no perfect line that will you know, get every customer to start sending you business without you having to work for it. Think about this, right? You can ask a a successful broker like, hey, how'd you get your first customer? And their response could be, well, I got my first customer, but I also, you know, failed to close the 1500 before. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's what it comes down. What did you say you figured out yours was? How many many calls you made or how many companies you contacted? You you had like the exact number. Yeah, it was like 2,200,345 was the amount of phone calls I made before I flipped the first customer. But the first real customer, right? Like I had a couple that gave me some loads and I moved here and there, but my first real customer was also worth $10,000 a week in GP within three weeks of me having them. But again, like had to earn it, had to, you know, whatever. What's the other saying? Kiss a lot of frogs to find the one that like made made sense was actually the right fit. <laughs> We need to have a special segment on the show that's just you reading off quotes. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Good stuff. All right. Well, what do you got for us? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, getting ready for the draft. Go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.